Hello everybody, it's me, Mr. Driver, sitting in the shed, out in the cold. The cat shall not disturb me today, and let's get straight down to business. Um, what bit are we reading? Ah, yes. Chapter 8, The Fight at the Lamp Post. Oh, Empress, are you? We'll see about that, said a voice. Then another voice said, Three cheers for the Empress of Colniatch. And quite a number joined in. A flush of colour came into the witch's face, and she bowed ever so slightly. But the cheers died away into roars of laughter, and she saw that they had only been making fun of her. A change came over her expression, and she changed the knife to her left hand. Then, without warning, she did a thing that was dreadful to see. Lightly, easily, as if it were the most ordinary thing in the world, she stretched up her right arm and wrenched off one of the crossbars of the lamppost. If she had lost some magical powers in our world, she had not lost her strength. She could break an iron bar as if it were a stick of barley sugar. She tossed her new weapon up in the air, caught it again, brandished it, and urged the horse forward. Now's my chance, thought Diggory. He darted between the horse and the railings and began going forward. If only the brute would stay still for a moment, he might catch the witch's heel. As he rushed, he heard a sickening crash and a thud. The witch had brought the bar down on the chief policeman's helmet. The man fell down like a ninepin. Quick, Diggory, this must be stopped, said a voice beside him. It was Polly, who had rushed down the moment she had been allowed out of bed. You are a brick, said Diggory. Hold on to me tight. You'll have to manage the ring. Yellow, remember, and don't put it on till I shout. There was a second crash, and another policeman crumpled up. Then came an angry roar from the crowd. Pull her down! Get a few paving stones! Call out the military! But most of them were getting as far away as they could. The cabbie, however, obviously the bravest as well as the kindest person present, was keeping close to the horse, dodging this way and that to avoid the bar, but still trying to catch Strawberry's head. The crowd booed and bellowed again. A stone whistled over Diggory's head. Then came the voice of the witch, clear like a great bell, and sounding as if, for once, she were almost happy. Scum! You shall pay dearly for this when I conquer your world. Not one stone of your city will be left. I will make it as Chan, as Felinda, as Sorlis, as Bramandin. Diggory at last caught her ankle. She kicked back with her heel and hit him in the mouth. In his pain he lost hold, his lip was cut and his mouth full of blood. From somewhere very close by came the voice of Uncle Andrew in a sort of trembling scream. Madam, my dear young lady, for heaven's sake compose yourself! Diggory made a second grab at her heel and was shaken off again. More men were knocked down by the iron bar. He made a third grab, caught the heel, held on like grim death, shouting to Polly, Go! Then... Oh, thank goodness, the angry, frightened faces had vanished. The angry, frightened voices were silenced. All except Uncle Andrew's, close beside Diggory in the darkness. It was wailing, Oh, is this delirium? Is it the end? I can't bear it. It's not fair. I never meant to be a magician. It's all a misunderstanding. It's all my godmother's fault. I must protest against this in my state of health too. A very old Dorsetshire family. Bother, thought Diggory. We didn't want to bring him along. My hat, what a picnic. Are you there, Polly? Yes, I'm here. Don't keep shoving. I'm not, began Diggory. But before he could say anything more, their heads came out into the warm green sunshine of the wood. And as they stepped out of the pool, Polly cried out, Oh, look, 
We brought the old horse with us too, and Mr. Ketterly, and the cabby. This is a pretty kettle of fish. As soon as the witch saw that she was once more in the wood, she turned pale and bent down till her face touched the mane of the horse. You could see she felt deadly sick. Uncle Andrew was shivering, but Strawberry the horse shook his head, gave a cheerful whinny, and seemed to feel better. He became quiet for the first time since Diggory had seen him. His ears, which had been laid flat back on his skull, came into their proper position, and the fire went out of his eyes. That's right, old boy, said the cabbie, slapping Strawberry's neck. That's better. Take it easy. Strawberry did the most natural thing in the world. Being very thirsty, and no wonder, he walked slowly across to the nearest pool and stepped into it to have a drink. Diggory was still holding the witch's heel, and Polly was holding Diggory's hand. One of the cabbie's hands was on Strawberry, and Uncle Andrew, still very shaky, had just grabbed on to the cabbie's other hand. Quick, said Polly with a look to Diggory. Greens! So the horse never got his drink. Instead, the whole party found themselves sinking into darkness. Strawberry neighed. Uncle Andrew whimpered. Diggory said, that was a bit of luck. There was a short pause. Then Polly said, oughtn't we be nearly there now? We do seem to be somewhere, said Diggory. At least I'm standing on something solid. Why, so am I, now that I come to think of it, said Polly. But why is it so dark? I say, do you think we've got into the wrong pool? Perhaps this is Charn, said Diggory, only we've got back in the middle of the night. This is not Charn, came the witch's voice. This is an empty world. This is nothing. And it really was uncommonly like nothing. There were no stars. It was so dark that they couldn't see one another at all, and it made no difference whether you kept your eyes shut or open. Under their feet there was a cool, flat something which might have been earth, and was certainly not grass or wood. The air was cold and dry, and there was no wind. My doom has come upon me, said the witch, in a voice of horrible calmness. Oh, don't say that, bubbled Uncle Andrew. My dear young lady, pray don't say such things. It can't be as bad as that. Ah, cabman, my good man, you don't happen to have a flask about you. A drop of spirits is just what I need. Now then, now then, came the cabby's voice, a good, firm, hardy voice. Keep cool, everyone. That's what I say. No broken bones, anyone? Good. Well, there's something to be thankful for straight away, and more than anyone could expect after falling all that way. Now we've fallen down some diggings, as might be, for a new station on the underground. Someone will come and get us out presently, see? And if we're all dead, which I don't deny it might well be, well, you've got to remember that worse things happen at sea. A chap's gonna die sometime. And there ain't nothing to be afraid of if a chap's led a decent life. And if you ask me, I think the best thing we could do now to pass the time would be to sing an hymn. And he did. He struck up at once a harvest thanks hymn, all about crops being safely gathered in. It was not very suitable to a place which felt as if nothing had ever grown there since the beginning of time, but it was the one he could remember best. He had a fine voice and the children joined in. It was very cheering. Uncle Andrew and the witch did not join in. Towards the end of the hymn, Diggory felt someone plucking at his elbow, and from a general smell of brandy and cigars and good clothes, he decided it must be Uncle Andrew. Uncle Andrew was cautiously pulling him away from the others. When they had got a little distance, the old man put his mouth so close to Diggory's ear it tickled, and whispered, Now, boy, slip on your ring, and let's be off. But the witch had very good ears. Fool! came her voice as she leapt off the horse. Have you forgotten that I hear men's thoughts? Let go the boy. 
if you attempt treachery, I will take such vengeance upon you as was never heard of in all the worlds from the beginning. And, added Diggory, if you think I'm such a mean pig as to go off and leave Polly and the cabby and the horse in a place like this, you're well mistaken. You are a very naughty and impertinent little boy, said Uncle Andrew. Hush, said the cabby, and they all listened. In the darkness, something was happening at last. A voice had begun to sing. It was very far away, and Diggory found it hard to decide from what direction it was coming. Sometimes it seemed to come from all directions at once. Sometimes he almost thought it was coming out of the earth beneath them. Its lower notes were deep enough to be the voice of the earth itself. There were no words. There was hardly even a tune. But it was, beyond comparison, the most beautiful noise he had ever heard. It was so beautiful he could hardly bear to hear it. The horse seemed to like it too. He gave the sort of whinny a horse would give if, after years of being a cab horse, it found itself back in the old field where it had played as a foal and saw someone whom it remembered and loved coming across the field to bring it a lump of sugar. God, said the cabby, ain't it lovely? Then two wonders happened at the same moment. One was that the voice was suddenly joined by other voices, more voices than you could possibly count. They were in harmony with it, but higher, far higher up the scale, cold, tingling, silvery voices. The second wonder was that the blackness overhead, all at once, was blazing with stars. They didn't come out gently, one by one, as they do on a summer evening. One moment there had been nothing but darkness, next moment a thousand, thousand points of light leapt out, single stars, constellations and planets brighter and bigger than any in our world. There were no clouds. The new stars and the new voices began at exactly the same time. If you had seen and heard it as Diggory did, you would have felt quite certain that it was the stars themselves which were singing, and that it was the first voice, the deep one, which had made them appear and made them sing. Glory be, said the cabby. I'd have been a better man all my life if I'd have known there were things like this. The voice on the earth was now louder and more triumphant, but the voices in the sky, after singing loudly with it for a time, began to get fainter, and now something else was happening. Far away and down near the horizon, the sky began to turn grey. A light wind, very fresh, began to stir. The sky in that one place grew slowly and steadily paler. You could see shapes of hills standing up dark against it. All the time, the voice went on singing. There was soon light enough for them to see one another's faces. The cabby and the two children had open mouths and shining eyes. They were drinking in the sound, and they looked as if it reminded them of something. Uncle Andrew's mouth was open too, but not open with joy. He looked more as if his chin had simply dropped away from the rest of his face. His shoulders were stooped and his knees shook. He was not liking the voice. If he could have got away from it by creeping into a rat's hole, he probably would have done so. But the witch looked as if, in a way, she understood the music better than any of them. Her mouth was shut, her lips were pressed together, and her fists were clenched. Ever since the song began, she had felt that this whole world was filled with a magic different from hers, and stronger. She hated it. She would have smashed that whole world, or all the worlds, to pieces if it would only stop the singing. The horse stood with its ears well forward and twitching. Every now and then it snorted and stamped the ground. It no longer looked like a tired old cab horse. You could now well believe that its father had been in battles. The eastern sky changed from white to pink and pink to gold. 
The voice rose and rose till all the air was shaking with it, and just as it swelled to the mightiest and most glorious sound it had yet produced, the sun arose. Diggory had never seen such a sun. The sun above the ruins of Charn had looked older than ours. This looked younger. You could imagine that it laughed for joy as it came up, and as its beams shot out across the land, the travellers could see for the first time what sort of place they were in. It was a valley through which a broad, swift river wound its way, flowing eastward towards the sun. Southward there were mountains, northward there were lower hills, but it was a valley of mere earth, rock and water. There was not a tree, nor a bush, nor a blade of grass to be seen. The earth was of many colours. They were fresh, hot and vivid. They made you feel excited until you saw the singer himself. Then you forgot everything else. It was a lion, huge, shaggy and bright. It stood facing the risen sun. Its mouth was wide open in song. It was about three hundred yards away. This is a terrible world, said the witch. We must fly at once. Prepare the magic. I quite agree with you, madam, said Uncle Andrew. A most disagreeable place, completely uncivilised. If I were a younger man and had a gun... Go on, said the cabbie. You don't think you could shoot him, do you? And who would, said Polly. Prepare the magic, old fool, said Jardis. Certainly, madam, said Uncle Andrew cunningly. I must have both children touching me. Put on your homeward ring at once, Diggory. He wanted to get away without the witch. Oh, rings, is it? cried Jardis. She would have had her hands in Diggory's pockets before you could say knife. But Diggory grabbed Polly and shouted out, Take care! If either of you come half an inch nearer, we two will vanish and you'll be left here for good. Yes, I have a ring in my pocket. That will take Polly and me home. And look, my hand is just ready, so keep your distance. I'm sorry about you. He looked at the cabbie, and about the horse, but I can't help that. As for you two, he looked at Uncle Andrew and the Queen. You're both magicians. You ought to enjoy living together. Hold your noise, everyone, said the cabbie. I want to listen to the music. For the song had now changed. And that is the end of the beautiful chapter eight. Chapter nine, coming very soon. OK, see you all. Well, I don't know when I'll see you, but hopefully you'll hear me tomorrow. Goodbye.